Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Believe in Titans podcast your weekly look at uh, all things Tennessee Titans with former Titans cornerback Denard Walker. Denard, how are you? I'm doing great, David and John. How are you doing? Doing good. John, of course, being John Glennon of all Titans at SI.com. John, how are you? I am well. Good to be with you guys. Good to be here. And I am David Beauclair, also of all Titans at SI.com. And, uh, here we are the end of June transitioning into July, the very much the, uh, the down period for the NFL and for players in particular, it's been a, been a quiet week for the team. No transactions at this point, no off the field headlines, which I'm sure franchise officials and, and coaches are, are very excited about. But, uh, but one thing that, that comes up every year at this time for Titans fans, it's, uh, it's impossible to ignore uh, is the death, the murder of Steve McNair back on July 4th, 2009. It remains one of the, uh, one of the more startling, one of the more, you know, what, whatever word you want to use on it, ep- episodes, incidents of the, of Nashville's pro sports era. And, uh, and the fact that, uh, that so little is going on at this time of year, you know, just lends itself to bringing this up again. So we will, uh, we will do that as well. We'll start with uh, how did you guys hear? Do you, do you remember your initial reaction to the news, Denard Walker? Yes, I actually received a phone call from uh, a good friend of mine's uh, young lady by the name of Nawana Harris, who's from Garland, Texas, went to high school with me, but she's from Gallatin, Tennessee. And she was going to Tennessee State University at the time. And she uh, called me. I thought it it was uh, at first, I thought it was some form of like a prank. I I didn't believe it at first. And uh, I'll tell you what, it it was a very, um, very low moment in my life because of what Steve meant to me. Uh, he, He wasn't just the ultimate teammate, but he was the ultimate person. 
and he was loved by all of his teammates. He treated every single one of us like, like we were his, his own, like a brother. Uh, he would always bring his family into uh, the locker rooms and, and I love him. I missed him. And I actually had a chance to go to the funeral, uh, flew from Dallas to Nashville. And it was one of the saddest moments of my life. Uh, but again, it's just, uh, it was an unfortunate uh, situation. And I just continually wish the best for his son, uh, Tyler. And uh, just, uh, God, it was just a, a very heartbreaking time. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. I think it's uh, it, it's Nashville sports version of of the JFK assassination. You know, everybody sort of remembers that moment. John Glennon, what was uh, what was your Steve McNair moment that day? Yeah, I was uh, you know, of course, still working at the uh, the Tennessean at that time, and and I was uh, I was actually on the Predators beat, um, so I was one of the few uh, Tennessean sports reporters that was not. Uh, immediately called into coverage uh, that day. But nonetheless, obviously, word traveled quickly from the Tennessee Sports Department out outwards. And I believe it was a um, uh, longtime reporter, Mike Organ, uh, who called me just to, to deliver the news. Um, and, and I, like everyone else, you know, couldn't believe it at first, you know, and, and you immediately started, you know, looking on, on the Internet and, and, and so forth. Uh, wondering what was going on and, and uh, you know, just uh, just mind blowing. And, and uh, you know, I, I can still remember in those days afterwards, um, you know, the, the longtime Titans beat reporter Jim Wyatt, uh, you know, coming up with with one, you know, an incredible story after another, you know, covering, I thought, both the, the heartbreak uh, of, the, of the situation um, you know, and, and also informing the public on, on everything that had gone on, you know, that uh, that tragic day. So just, yeah, I, I agree with you. It is sort of like a JFK moment in Nashville. And kind of what what's, it's amazing, too, in a lot of ways that Steve McNair, not not um, obviously not only because of his death, but, you know, more than more than, uh, you know, two decades or so after his after his heyday. Still remains, still remains kind of one of the pillars, uh, you know. If you uh, if you were going to put your Mount Rushmore of, of Tennessee pro athletes up, you know, I think Steve McNair's name is certainly one of the very first, if not the first, that that comes to mind. And you know, that's probably a, you know as, as good a testament as any to to what he did here as a, as a player in person. Yeah, it's interesting. My uh, my stepfather had passed away the previous October, and uh, and in his later days, he had had a conversation with me at one point and asked me to get my mother to move to Nashville. He had always liked Nashville. He thought it was a thought it was a good, safe place. Would be a good place for my mother in her later years. And uh, and it just so happened that was the weekend that I was moving her to Nashville and we had left Philadelphia in her car first thing that morning and, and we're driving all day to Nashville. We were just this side of Knoxville when a colleague called me to tell me the news. And, and yeah, your, your first, your first reaction is sort of like, what did he just say? Like, mm-hmm. because it, it, yeah. it just made, it made no sense that, that Steve McNair would be dead. And then, uh, and then let alone the the circumstances by which it happened. And so I spent the last, three hours of that drive basically reporting this story you know i was on the phone with with a couple people trying to get details i I remember doing uh doing a radio hit espn radio with freddie coleman and and 
my mother, my mother kept saying to me, don't you want to pull over? Don't you? I'm like, no, no, I can do this. You know, it was, yeah. it was you know, it just, uh, it was just, uh, it was just incredible. And then because it was a holiday, it, it I was working for the, uh, the, uh, the city paper at the time, and we weren't going to produce a paper at that point. So there was, there was the opportunity to sort of, you know, take the time, get home and, uh, and, and then do a story, which I did ultimately, and and some other, you know, like our our cops reporter had already done something at that point too. So it was, uh, it was remarkable. You guys both touched on it. You know, Steve McNair, it it, is not about how he died. Steve McNair is about how he lived, how he played the game and, and whatnot. Denard, your rookie year was, was Steve's first year as the starting cornerback for this, uh, for this team. What, uh, when, when you think back, what moments or what characteristics, what, what sort of defines Steve McNair, the football player in your mind? Well, God, I, you know, David, I can talk all day about the football player, but it's the person that I remember the most. And it, it started for me, actually, in my first uh, rookie camp. Uh, that was when I got drafted to Tennessee. We actually were in Houston. And when we first, our first mini camp was in Houston in 1997. And we were staying at a hotel. And I remember not eating. I couldn't get out. I didn't have a car at that time. So we had to, when you're a rookie, you have to go to just like a little fast food and get you something to eat. We'll walk over there. But Steve came around and I remember he, he told all the rookies, you know, listen, I'm going to come pick you guys up. You can come over to the house. I'm going to cook something to eat, uh, give you guys a good meal. And that, that meant the world to me. And that's what I remember about Steve. I mean, back in those days, veterans didn't talk to rookies. <laughs> so you were caught on your own. But for a guy of that, for a player of his caliber, you got to understand, I went to school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Steve and I, we came, we came he, a couple of years before me, but I remember when uh, Alcorn State would come down to Baton Rouge to play Southern and the whole town, I, you got to talk about, the whole town will shut down just to see the legend of Air McNair. And we, I'm at LSU, and that would be the talk of the town. That would be the, the main story is Steve McNair is heading to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I never will forget that. But it's amazing when I got drafted. The first thing I thought about, I'm going to play with the Heisman Trophy winner, Eddie George, and I'm going to get a chance to team up with the great, the legend, Steve Air McNair. And for me, man, let me tell you something, David and John, I was excited. And I'll tell you, the one guy, when I got to minicamp, I couldn't take my eyes off him. I'm glad he didn't look my way. Every time I saw Steve McNair, I was just like, I was in shock because he's a legend. He was a legend before he ever played a game in the National Football League. And so it was an honor to get a chance to play with him. He, he's the best. He is one of the best. I call him a big brother. I love him to death. John Glennon, when, when you think of Steve McNair, what, uh, what, what pops into your head right away? Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean... I think it was it was not only his his talent as a player, uh, um, but I think his toughness that was so inspirational and so motivational. You know, I was looking back at, at some of the old clips and stories about him, um, and and I saw a quote from from our friend uh, Blaine Bishop um, uh, that I uh, played with yeah, as well. Uh, yeah, and and uh, Blaine had a pretty good quote about Steve McNair one week said. Steve was the kind of guy who who could have played back before they had, uh, you know, back when they were still using leather helmets. You know, he he was that kind of guy that would eat that contact up, 
you know, didn't really matter, you know, the, the injury and, and so forth. He, he would still play through. And, you know, I think the game that, that a lot of people uh, recall in, in particular is probably that 2000 season. Uh, you know, he gets knocked out of the uh, the season opener, you know, serious yeah. injury to his uh, to his sternum, uh, even though the Titans had the next week off. Uh, you know, he he couldn't start the following week in, against Pittsburgh, you know, that just so much soreness, everything he did, uh, you know, so much soreness in that sternum. And basically the only way he was going to play is if it's an emergency situation. Well, under three minutes to go, Neil O'Donnell gets hurt. It's an emergency situation. They're trailing to Pittsburgh by, by four points. 2016 at the time, they have no choice but to turn to McNair. He comes in. One drive, even as sore and, and uh, as, as injured as he is, completes three of three passes for 55 yards, including the, the very first play of the drive. It was like a 22-yard a, a completion on third down. Uh, and then, then caps it off with an 18-yard TD pass uh, to Aaron Kinney, and they beat the Steelers 23-20. Uh, to 20. Um, Just, you know, an incredible moment for, for Steve McNair, uh, for the Titans. And, and to me, it, you know, if there was one game that kind of summed up that, that toughness, that leadership uh, ability and the ability to kind of come through in the clutch, that, that was a big one for me. Yeah. Jeff Fisher has told the story too, that when, uh, when, when O'Donnell got hurt, you know, Jeff sort of looked, looked to his side to see where McNair was and see what he was doing. And Steve just sort of looked at him and winked and like, you know, went to go get his helmet. Like, yeah, this is, this is just fine. I, it, it's funny. I, you know, there, there's, there's all the obvious stories. There was the, the, you know, another playing through pain against the New York Giants during his, during his MVP season in 2003 when, when they, uh, you know, when they won that game in overtime, the, the 91 yard run against Tampa Bay. I mean, they, you could go, you could go down the list. I, I decided to, there's one thing I, I will never forget this. My first full year on the beat was 1998. And early in training camp, there it was, it was, they were getting ready for a preseason game against Washington. And they had played Washington in the preseason the uh, the year before. It was either the first or second preseason game, and uh, and McNair was terrible in that game. And and I it took me some digging today, but I I did go back and find the stats. He was, and when I say terrible, I mean four for sixteen passing for fourteen yards. I mean, it, it was a it was a terrible performance. Titans lost that game 18 to 12. So the next year they're getting ready to play Washington in the preseason again. And I remember being at Tennessee State University, walking off the field with McNair. And and, uh, and I want to talk to him about, you know, the fact that 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 was just sort of a comically bad day for him in the offense and you know there was nothing there was nothing like that in what followed during the regular season and whatnot and I started asking the question and and he just gave me like a one or two word answer and I and I asked something else and and he sort of brushed me off again and and finally I said well like can't you just like after all this time you can't look back at that game and just sort of laugh about it now and he said absolutely not and it and it was my first real sense of this guy is like crazy competitive. It, you know, it, it's not it, it, like it was a preseason game, right? It didn't mean anything. And, and he, he was the starting quarterback the whole year after that. I mean, it didn't hurt him in any way, shape or form, but he, he was still bitter about it a year later. And, and then there was, there was one other exchange we had. A, a, this was 
several years later. This was when he was very much in his prime and doing his thing. And, uh, you know, I'm a young reporter. I'm, I'm ready to go change the world. And I'm going to write a story about how Steve McNair was wronged during the recruiting process and, and how so many big schools wanted him to play safety and, you know, the, the whole black quarterback story and whatnot. And he didn't want to go there with me either. And it, it wasn't a confrontational sort of thing, but finally he just looked at me and he said, he said, you know what? He said, it, it wasn't about a black white thing. He goes, it was about what teams what the what different schools wanted to do with their best athlete and wherever I would have gone I would have been the best athlete on the team and he said it in such a matter of fact way and and it and it you know as I think about it now and I remember thinking about it then like Steve was so unimpressed with himself and and make no mistake he was a, an off the charts athlete I mean we've all seen what he can do and and, and it and it it's it's sort of like Bo Jackson in that way. It's it's just sort of like, yeah, well, th- that's fine. Like it, it, he wasn't ever trying to impress anybody. He wasn't trying to impress himself. He knew how good he was, and and he just went out and did his thing. And th- those are the kind of those are the kinds of things I think about uh, with him because he's uh, you know it guys guys like him were just built differently. And and you know, Denard, you played with him. You were, you, I'm going to give you the last word on Steve McNair. Give us one more thought here. Well, you know what? That's what happens when you're born and raised in Mount Olive, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, I played with a lot of players from Mississippi and they're all the same. You know, they're just laid back country boys. And that was Steve McNair. He was just a country boy. He kept the same demeanor. I don't care if we played in a Super Bowl. He probably played his best game, but we came up short. He'll keep that same demeanor. It was never, he was never too high or too low. And that's what I loved about him. But he was competitive in practice. We used to go at it. We talked noise to each other. But what I love most about Steve was he always kept, like, he stayed true to himself. He was very humble. Uh, like I said before, you, when you see Steve, you didn't just see Steve alone. Steve would always have all of his brothers with him. Every single one of them. I don't know how many brothers he had. It'd be about four or five of them be in the locker room with him. But what you also loved about him, not just how humble he was as a person, you loved that the fact that he was a giver. Steve did a lot of things in the community. He got out there. I know he had a lot of youth football camps throughout Nashville, uh, the surrounding areas. Uh, I know he did a lot in Mount Olive, Mississippi. I mean, he was just a wonderful person. He was so uh, respected uh, by all of us, all of his teammates, his peers throughout the league. Because that that was just Steve. That's who he was, you know, as a person. You know, sometimes in this game, I think sometimes you can get lost. You can get lost in, in, in the money. You can get lost in the pageantry of the game. But I love the way that he carried himself. And it, it, it just is he stuck to his beginnings where it all started in Mount Olive, Mississippi. You always you would always see his mom. You would always see uh, after the game she cooked. You know, you always knew when Mrs. McNair cooked because I'm telling you what, it looked like a bus line. It was just full of guys, you know, up in that line. So, again, I mean, that's that's what I missed about him. And, you know, and let, let me just say this, is that, you know, I had a chance to go and I played for three other organizations. And I can tell you what, all 32 teams are different. And and I'll tell you what, when I, when I left for free agency and I went to Denver, I got away with so – I got away – from what made me 
what I call successful. And what, the, what I mean by that is being associated with winners, being associated with good people. And that's what I loved about that team was we had high character guys like Bruce Matthews and Steve McNair. And that's what I equate into success is when you, when you can emulate guys like that, you have no reason but to be successful. And that's what I credit to Steve is just what a great person he was. And, and that's what I learned from him is that humbleness and that giving. John, you, you referenced the touchdown pass to Aaron Kinney, a tight end. Steve McNair threw a lot of passes to Frank Wycheck over the years, a tight end. Uh, we've seen with this team, Delaney Walker has, has led the team in receptions four years in a row at one point. Uh, even a guy like Bo Scaife has led this team in receptions. It's a, it's a team with a, with a rich history of tight ends, at least certainly during its, uh, its time in Tennessee. Austin Hooper, we've talked about some, probably the, the most prominent free agent signing in terms of bringing in a player from the outside this offseason. What, uh, you know, are, are we looking at the return of the, the tight end as the Titans leading receiver? And what's a, what, what's a, what's a number of receptions you, you're expecting from him this year? I'm expecting some pretty good stuff from Austin Hooper, uh, um, you know, and, and, uh, few different reasons for that uh you know one we certainly have question marks at wide receiver at, at both one and two uh you know robert woods uh, you know everything looks great so far but still coming back from an acl Traylon burks you know in and out of of off season we don't know exactly what his health his conditioning and and you know how far behind the eight ball he's going to be coming into the season so uh, you know i i think austin hooper is a natural target for ryan Tannehill. Uh, he's got experience. You know, this is a guy who has twice caught over 70 passes in his career uh, already, both when he was in Cleveland. And, you know, when, when you look at the last, or excuse me, when he was in Atlanta, he did that. Yeah, then right. when you when you look at the kind of the fewer receptions he had the last couple of years in, in Cleveland, I think at least some of that had to do with the fact that he was also playing with another pretty good tight end, David Joku, uh, you know, who and they had to kind of split time, split receptions, that kind of thing. He's clearly, Austin Hooper is clearly number one going into the season at tight end. You know, Chico Quanco's going to be good, um, but he, he's still a rookie at this point. So with Tannehill looking for somebody to throw to, Hooper's got that uh, that history. He's going to have plenty of opportunity. Todd Downing has said, you know, he loves tight ends. He used to be the tight ends coach. I'm seeing, I'm, I'm going to throw out 55 to 60 catches uh, for Austin Hooper. Maybe, you know, uh, uh, 500, 600 yards probably. And maybe uh, we'll, we'll give him a good five or six touchdowns. I think he's going to be a good uh, red zone target for, for Ryan Tannehill as well. Yeah, it became clear what the Browns think of David Njoku this offseason when they gave him a massive contract. And, uh, you know, Titans sign Austin Hooper for one year on the cheap. And it, and it looks like, uh, you, you know, that has a that that's a deal that has a potential to to really pay off big for this team. Denard, when 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 the tight end is the number one option, is that is that a challenge for a defense? To, you know, because it, it is not a common thing in this day and age, you know, can that, can that give the Titans an edge if he is the number one guy in the passing game? Yeah, that would be a huge edge. That can be a difference between you being a possibly playoff team. It can be, uh, it can also be detrimental to your offense. Listen, Austin, I love Austin Hooper. I mean, I, I, I've watched this guy since he was at Stanford and what you, what you love about him, he's just not a, it's not like he's just a, a, a past 
uh, what I call a pass happy first tight end. You know, he's just looking to catch the football. He's a solid blocker. I mean, he's solid um, in the blocking game. And that's what you're going to need as well on this team is a solid tight end to kind of help seal those edges. But when you think about it, I want to go back a little bit on what John was talking about is when you look at his production and when he was in, let's say, Atlanta, but what, 2006? 16 to 2019, two years with 2007, with 2018 and 2019, he was a Pro Bowl tight end. And John, let me tell you some John and David, he's not that far removed from that big deal that he got in Cleveland. I mean, they, they locked him up. It was a four-year, $42 million deal. So that lets you know how productive he was uh, in Atlanta, the way that they played him at Cleveland. The problem with Cleveland is last year in 2021, and I hate to say this because I love Baker Mayfield. They were so inconsistent at the quarterback position. Baker struggled. Again, when your quarterback struggles, typically your offense is going to struggle. And not to mention, he comes from that Atlanta system where they was pass happy, pass heavy first, and then you go to Cleveland where it's like you're going to get a dose of that running game. The running game is going to dictate the course of the game, of course, because you got those two great backs in Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. So once again, that hurts the play of the tight end. But again, Austin Hooper, if you allow him to get over 500 yards, five or 600 yards, he's going to be a monster in Todd Downing offense because you know Todd Downing loves to utilize the tight end in the passing games. And, and one thing I think that's overlooked and, and and should be noted with Austin Hooper too is those big years in Atlanta, his position coach was Mike Malarkey, the former Titans head coach and and Mike Malarkey's offense you, you Todd Downing's offense right now comes a, largely from Arthur Smith who replaced Mike Malarkey as tight ends coach when Mike Malarkey was elevated to interim head coach and then in 20 uh was it 2016 when when Malarkey took over he put in his exotic smash mouth offense and a lot of what a lot of what Arthur Smith did was taken from that Mike Malarkey offense so when you're talking about what what the Titans are doing what you know the the terminology the the concepts of what's going on with the tight ends, it is probably really familiar to him based on what Mike Malarkey was saying to him those couple years in Atlanta. And, uh, and I, and I think that's one of those, that's one of those little things that can make the adjustment easy. And, and you, know, you talk about his blocking, he's a big man. Like he yeah. is, you know, like you stand next to him, you're like, my goodness, this is a, this, this is a big fella. And, and, you know, the numbers, I agree, John, I, you know, I think 55, 60 receptions is, is a good number. I, I think the more important number is, you know, if, if I was a gambling man, I would put money down that he's going to lead this team in touchdown catches. I think you're, I think you're talking somewhere around eight touchdown catches because he is a, uh, he, he is that big body. He, he, he has done that before in his career too. He's, he's got a comfort level when the, when the field is short. So he's uh you know, that, that's a guy, that's a guy. It, it, and based on what we've seen, I, I think he's a guy who has to be productive for this team to be good. And, and there is, there's a lot of reasons to think he can be productive. Uh, John, you mentioned the, uh, you mentioned the wide receiver questions and, and we have talked about them. Uh, an NFL.com piece this week talked about the, the best available free agents still out there. And, and I believe Will Fuller, Who's a who's a downfield threat in Houston? Had a lot of injury problems. Uh, went to Miami last year. Listed him as as the best 
possible option out there is uh is he the best possible option he's is he someone the titans should look at as training camp draws near look at yes i don't think you can help but but look at will fuller but you know maybe like the the downside of will fuller is is kind of maybe summed up in in sort of what happened to him last year you know he kind of uh he uh, he bet on himself going into last season. You know, he signed a one-year deal in Miami uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to show everybody that my injury problems and everything else, uh, my PED suspension, is, it's all behind me now. Uh, I'm going to have a big year and sign a big contract, uh, you know, for the following year. Well, the, the bet uh, did not work, uh, to say the least, for Will Fuller. He wound up playing in two games uh, before going on IR for a broken finger. Uh, you know, and, and sadly, that's the uh, more often than not with Will Fuller, you end up talking about the games that he missed rather than the ones that, that he played in. I think, you know, if you look over the past five years, never more than 11 games, uh, average of just over eight games a season. So, you know, th- there's really been some some big gaps because of injuries. And as I mentioned, there was a PED suspension in there as well. Nonetheless, I do think. You know, you have to take a hard look. The Titans are a team that is in need of speed. There's there's no doubt about that. And that is the one that brings out about it. He was in the middle of a career year in 2020, 53 catches, almost 900 yards, eight touchdowns when he got hit with that PED suspension, which, of course, makes you wonder a little bit, were PEDs helping him to that career year? Uh, you have to wonder about that a little bit. But nonetheless, you know, I, I can't help but think with the Titans' ties to the Texans, Tim Kelly is this team's uh, passing coordinator, passing game coordinator uh, right now, and, and he was the offensive coordinator for two years when when Will Fuller was there. So they know plenty about Will Fuller. Just a cha- just a question of whether they want to take that chance, take that risk on him. You know, I think it has to be a very team friendly contract if the uh, if the Titans are going to go there. But but worth a look anyway. Yeah, we when when people talk about guys like Will Fuller, that sort of speed, you know, you, you hear the term taking the top off a of defense. Uh, you know, Denard, talk a, talk a little bit about that. You know, what kind of what kind of problems uh, a Will Fuller or or somebody like him would uh, you know pose for a defense, and and how badly does this Titans offense need a guy like that right now? Well. Let's just look at the projected starters coming in 2022. I mean, look at it. You have Robert Woods, who's coming off an ACL injury. Okay, you have Traylon Burks. We're not going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) We've done plenty of that. Yeah, we've done plenty of that. So, But think about who is your – amongst all of these receivers, Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, let's go. Oh, goodness, Nick Westbrook, Akine. Who's your leading receiver out of those three? Right now, going into the going into the first game of the season, would be Nick Westbrook Akine that has caught passes from Rod Tannehill. And when I look at this receiving core, look at the backups just for a second. You got Des Fitzpatrick, you got Kyle Phillips, assuming he makes this team, Cody Hollister, Mason Kinsey, and Racy McMath. Not one of those receivers. You have one receiver, one receiver among four or five of these guys that I just mentioned that's had a thousand yard season. And that's Robert Woods in 2018 and 19. And when you're talking about David taking the top off of a defense, you know what that will do for uh, offense? 
is it allows you to run the football. If you can't top the defense, guess what? You can bring an extra safety or an extra defender in the box and take away the run and say, hey, beat me on the perimeter. And that's exactly what happened last year against Cincinnati. You had one player that can top the defense. That was A.J. Brown. Other than A.J., who else was able to get on top of the defense for Cincinnati? It wasn't Julio. It wasn't Nick Westbrook, Akine. So you need a deep threat. If you don't have a deep threat as a cornerback, you know what I'm doing? I'm sitting there squatting saying, hey, I dare you to run past me. And if you can't, if you don't have the ability uh, of an offense to get over the top, then David, what happens is it puts you, it makes you one dimensional. And what you don't need is to sit back and say, hey, we got everything is going to be predicated on the play of the king. You can't do, he can't do it alone. And that's what you don't want. So once again, I think Will Fuller, his issue has been durability. I know he had an ACL tear. I know he's had what a broken collarbone and what 2017, 2018, a torn ACL and he ended up missing some time because of that in 2019. But when this guy, when his game is on, he's averaging about 15 yards a catch. So that's telling me as a defensive back, I better play him deep to short. That's like Randy Moss. You know, when you talk about when he's healthy, when he's healthy. And again, when you are you going into your seventh year, you have a chip on your shoulder. I'm sure he's heard it a lot. What happened at Miami, I'm sure he's he knows that, listen, I had a productive year in 2020. If he can emulate that season in 2020 and bring that to Nashville, that'll be a huge asset for this offense. And once again, you're talking about familiarity, breeds success. Tim Kelly, Houston, Will Fuller, Houston, you know, Houston, look, look at that. That's that's what you want. If you look at some of the players, just take a long look at this. Zach Cunningham, Houston, what do you do? You bring him over to Nashville. Why? Because there's some familiarity. These coaches know each other. That's what coaches do. They bring in players that they know. I think this would be a huge addition to the Tennessee offense in 2022. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be, whether it's Fuller or, or somebody like him, it, it, this doesn't have to be somebody who catches 75 balls and, and 10 touchdown passes. I, as I was thinking about this and I was listening to you, Denard, I remember, I remember thinking back, it was probably 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Uh, one of your teammates, again, Chris Sanders was a guy who could, who could flat out yeah. fly, yeah, could, could just, just run. <laughs> and, and his, his production, really productive as a rookie, his numbers sort of trended down over the course of his career, but he got a contract extension. And I, and I remember a couple of days later, there were a couple of us out on the practice field talking to Floyd Reese and sort of giving him a hard time. Like, why, you know, this guy's numbers are going the wrong way. Why, you know, why are you going to pay him? And, uh, and he said, I'll take you inside right now and show you the film. He said, every time that guy steps on the field, the defense behaves differently. And, and you know, the point he was making was exactly what you said, was he was backing people off and giving Eddie George room to run. It, it's, not that, it's not that they had to throw the ball to Chris Sanders every time he was out there, but every time he was out there, the defense said, uh-oh, that's a guy who can get behind us. We've got to make sure that doesn't happen. And, uh, and that, that, is, that is an element that I, I agree. I think this team could, could use, you know, with, without, without actually having to have big production from him. David, I got a question. 
How did Tiptoes get a contract extension and they didn't even return my phone calls? I'm just glad you brought that up. That is that is a podcast for another day. That'll be that'll take us the whole time. Yeah, in four years, I don't care what people talk about in 1999 (laughs) Super Bowl. But how did he get a contract extension and they couldn't even call me back? Yeah, he told me that. It, it's sure you a, the right number. Was it was it the right number that you called? Them? Oh, believe me, <laughs> trust me. Every, hey, it was. A, I know Floyd Reese's number. Hey, may it rest in peace. But let me tell you something, Floyd. You wrong for that, man. <laughs> <laughs> and as we uh, as as we wrap this thing up here, we'll uh, we'll, we'll take a look around the division a little bit. The uh, uh, no question, I think, in anybody's mind, if the Titans are going to win a third division championship in a row, they, they've got to get past the Indianapolis Colts. So uh, we, we, we won't do rapid fire here, but we'll kind of go quickly. Denard, what concerns you most about the Indianapolis Colts when you look at them? Well, no more Carson Wentz and the savvy vet Matt Ryan is there. Will he be the answer? David and John, I don't know. But again, it's all about Jonathan Taylor and that offensive line. I'm not putting it on Matt Ryan, but once again, a healthy Jonathan Taylor, as long as he's there, I tell you what, watch out. This team is dangerous. John Glennon, what concerns you most about the Indianapolis Colts? Yeah, certainly. I think it's an upgrade at quarterback for the Colts and and Matt Ryan. Um, They've got some young talent as in the pass catching department, sort of unproven in that regard. Uh, but I'm not overly impressed, you know, for the most part by that offensive line. You're looking at the tackles, Matt Pryor, Braden Smith, you know, aren't, aren't going to scare too many people. What I think if, if I'm a, um, you know, a Titans fan, what concerns me more, uh, given the, the questions about the Titans offense, is the Colts defense. Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty solid last year. I think it tied for ninth in the league in points allowed, about 22 points a game. Uh, and a couple nice additions uh, to that defense this offseason. When you're talking about on the edge, Yannick Ngakwe, who can really get after the passer. Uh, and, of course, cornerback, uh, Stephon Gilmore, who's had incredible success uh, over the years, you know, a, a, a top-flight corner. And they had a veteran safety in there, Rodney McLeod, uh, you know, who's going to be pretty good uh, as well. And when you talk about the Colts defense, as I said, was already solid, you know, had DeForest Buckner, has Darius Leonard, uh, and you add, you know, three or four more good players to the Colts done. I'm more concerned about the Colts defense and what problems they might cause, you know, a Titans offense with some question marks right now. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm I'm going the obvious. You know, Darius Leonard is a, is the closest thing I have seen to Ray Lewis. I think since Ray Lewis in terms of a guy who just just believes he is going to make every play on every single snap yet even as he's doing that he inspires his teammates in a way that 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 they play better and and they play harder and he's you know he's a guy that I think uh, I think can just call he just causes all kinds of problems. He's, he's, he's one of the few players in the league. I think is not going to be intimidated on any level by Derrick Henry. And uh, uh, you know, when you talk about 
the interior of the Titans offensive line, a, an aging Ben Jones, uh, a Nate Davis at right guard who, who didn't have his best year last year, question marks at left guard, not having Roger Saffold, Darius Leonard could be a, uh, could be a huge problem in those two matchups this year. But uh, we will, uh, we will look at the, uh, the other division opponents as, as we go through here the next couple of weeks, but that is going to, that is going to do it for us in this edition of believe in Titans, Denard Walker. Thank you, as always. Good to see you. Thank you. John Glennon, thank you. Thank you. And uh, and I, again, am David Beauclair. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back next week with Believe in Titans. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.